Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1444. Oof, <laughs> we're getting on. Yes, entitled, Yes, We've Latter-Date Parking. Our podcast title is Podula Must Be Caged. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. <laughs> yeah, you know we're going to be talking about Renfield. The new yeah. Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> He's such a trooper. <laughs> it is not to be confused with the Barbara Hambly novel of the same name, which also has the subtitle Slave of Dracula. <laughs> Poor Renfield. <laughs> which is, by the way, an excellent Barbara Hambly novel, one of the one of the great fantasy novel writers of the 20th and 21st century. Uh, okay, so, well... Wow. <laughs> On the big and small screen, the assorted horror sub-genres have only ever been a couple of shambling, oozing or creeping steps away from comedy. The original mostly straightforward movie spawns a sequel, whether it be Dracula or Frankenstein, the Wolfman, so on. Uh, and after, sometimes even within the sequel premise, we have a son of, a daughter of or bride of. Yes. And these are all spins placed upon the material, and then having exhausted other possibility, other possibilities, especially in the case of Universal Pictures, we're off to munge single horror icons together in something like 1948's Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein, which was played by a regular monster actor, Gwen Strange. And the title omits the presence of Dracula, Bella Lugosi, and the Wolfman, Lon Chaney Jr., and even the Invisible Man, voiced by Vincent Price. More to the double-fanged point, the vampire comedy is a vast subgenre in itself, and I've watched far too many of them, I've realised. Mind you, don't lacerate your face with your own gnarly toothy pegs when laughing. You know, this is so Big a subgenre, Tim Burton's 2012 adaptation of the long-running horror soap series of the same name, Dark Shadows, mm. which in itself had uh, oh, over 1,200 episodes shown in the 60s and 70s. Mm, with Johnny Depp and Michelle Pfeiffer in the film, Ava Green and Helena Bonham Carter. Then, of course, there's Roman Polanski's 67 movie, The Fearless Vampire Killers, which I think was one of my early introductions to comedic horror. Uh, mm. You know, and the, even the titles like Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, same, same, you know, another vampire hunter. Yes. Uh, who knew? Uh, jo- I mean, the man could do everything. <laughs> Joel Schumacher's franchise spawning 1987 The Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and we've got um, Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi's What We Do in the Shadows which has got its own its side, its own television series, and the animated Hotel Transylvania series. And, of course, Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 1992, Kirsty Swanson later famously being replaced by Sarah Michelle Gellar in the series. And, you know, and then they've got all of the vehicle movies too. 
I think my early probably vampire spoof was uh, Leslie Nielsen's Dead and Loving It. That's exactly the one I was going to just mention next. <laughs> a vehicle movie. Mel Brooks in 1995 did that one. Uh, and, you know, like Leslie Nielsen's like at the height of his police story, you know, that sort of stuff, yeah. popularity. And I, I first ran into him in um, playing the, the straight jaw, chin like a rock sort of guy in the uh, Forbidden Planet movie. I never knew he was going to oh, become yeah. this amazing comedian uh, yeah. the 1979 george hamilton vehicle love at first bite <laughs> that's a good one jeff goldblum's got one uh, transylvania 6 5000 mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. there's eddie murphy and vampire in brooklyn Although actually eddie's eddie's trying to do that kind of straight because he want, wanted to break away from his um his comedy sort his of, silly yeah. mm. uh once bitten with jim carrey and lauren hutton uh, and Blood-sucking bastards has Pedro Pascal in it, you know. So, but to return to Nicolas Cage, and you always have to, he's ubiquitous in these sorts of movies, uh, 1988's Vampire's Kiss, uh, where we're not, he's kind of a, he's he thinks he's turning into a vampire. It's just a really odd one, that one. Uh, and his own Saturn Films production company produced Shadow of the Vampire about the making of F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu. If uh, the actor playing the, the creature in that, not Dracula, because it was like a, uh, we are not doing an adaptation of Dracula here. Uh, Max Schreck, if he was actually a vampire filming this film. <laughs> Although I don't know actually how it would work because cameras have got mirror sort of things going on and, you know, maybe, who knows. Anyway, uh Kick-ass, Nicolas Cage in there, ageing out as a Batman-like vigilante hero. So there's another Bat connection there. You know, his birth name, Nicholas Kim Coppola. So, yeah, he's a Coppola. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's, um, that whole thing that's going on there, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's mm. Dracula. Um, he... Actually, this is to say Nicolas Cage changed his name, you know, it's like nepotism sort of thing, we don't want to go there, to Cage, Nicolas Cage, because of the Marvel comic character Luke Cage. Really? Yeah, so this is... I knew he was a comic fan, but I did not know that. Yeah, and uh, he visited the pre-MCU world as the eponymous Ghost Rider in 2007 and 2012. And I was actually working around the corner in in the city from where they filmed bits of the of that so watching them do the setup and stuff that was amazing uh and he of course was the voice of uh spider-man noir in um into the spider-verse uh, mm-hmm. he's got his own, he did a comic book of his son weston called voodoo child uh from the uh, virgin comics label and he's got if rumor is correct a special cameo in the upcoming flash movie yeah, he's 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 in his comeback era, so he's also having fun with it. And I noticed he's taking a lot of really interesting, like different projects as well, like Pig and Mandy and the Unbreakable Weight of Massive Talent. What a range! <laughs> it's so interesting, like from his early days in Con Air and Face Off, and through his action roots to comedy, and then here he's popped out in. Yeah, he's, he's doing a bunch of diverse stuff. Well, that Mandy, that's a that's an excellent cult horror movie. Um, mm. Then you've got Lovecraft, Color Out of Space, a really fine yes. 
H.P. Uh, Lovecraft um, yeah. story, yeah. supernatural horror in Between Worlds and Left Behind, um, science fiction martial arts uh, in the film Jiu-Jitsu, Prisoners of the Ghost Land was Western horror. He's uh, a plague movie, uh, Mum and Dad, and, you know, he's done all this sort of stuff which doesn't bring us to Wicker Man. We'll just move beyond that. Not the bees. <laughs> so that we just forget that blip. <laughs> so that leads us through to Renfield. Indeed, Renfield is in cinemas now, directed by Chris McKay, and it's another in, as you might have guessed, the comedy horror vampire genre. So Renfield. So this is one I think both of us have been waiting for for a while, and now it's part of. I'll just take you back a little bit and give you a little bit of the background. So Universal Studios. Um, you mentioned earlier the monster movies that they were kind of made popular back in the day. And so they had really wanted to start green lighting a bunch of reboots of these movies because they were like, okay, what properties have we already owned? What do we own? What can we make money off? What can we start churning out in this day and age? You know, like what Disney's doing with their live action remakes and what Marvel's doing, you know, we want our own thing. So they wanted to kind of do a whole range of these and they originally were going to start with Dracula Untold but that was such a flop they're like no 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 we're going to start with The Mummy in 2017 with Tom Cruise now I forgot this movie existed as I think most people did because they either saw it and hated it or didn't see it at all yay (laughs) (laughs) so the poor mummy yes so it was such a flop They'd originally had this plan to do a whole dark universe, like a shared universe. They were going to trot all these monsters out and have all of these linked movies. So after The Mummy was such a horrible disaster, they were like, no, 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 okay, rethink that. They pivoted, which, look, I applaud them. I'm glad they didn't just dig in. And they said, each one now can have its own vision. We want to hear what directors want to do with each of these monsters and they don't have to be linked. We can do a different thing for each concept. So rather than being shared, they would pick directors that might do even different genres, horror, comedy, that kind of thing. So Invisible Man comes out in 2020, directed by Lee Wannell, did extremely well. That was good. Yeah, and I think critically audiences, everybody appreciated, thought that movie was really, really well done. They were like, okay, well, this is it. I felt seen. <laughs> <laughs> so they went, okay, this is the one. We're, we've got, we're onto it now. They started rethinking and pivoting and having all of these different people pitch for the different monster movies. So in the future, at some point, we're going to see a Wolfman with Ryan Gosling, allegedly a Bride of Frankenstein with Scarlett Johansson, or at least that's, you know, who knows, they might be recast by the time we see these. There's a Frankenstein directed by horror aficionado James Wan. Uh, Chloe Zhao is attached to a Dracula project. And of course, one of the projects that was put on pause after the flop of the mummy and then had a director come in and say, no, 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 we're going to do comedy. We're going to do comedy horror is Renfield, Mm. the movie we're going to talk about today. So Renfield came to life from development hell with uh, Chris McKay came in and pitched his version of the story that was already on the table. They had other directors attached, but he went, yeah, we're going to do this comedy horror thing. And I do think it's sort of accepted that this is off the back of the success of things like what we do in the shadows, uh, Taika Waititi's um, popular comedy horror vampire film. I think that was kind of part of the impetus. 
And, of course, the pitch originally came from Robert Kirkman, from the, the comic book writer of uh, The Walking Dead and Marvel Zombies. And he's very much into, obviously, horror. The Astounding Wolfman, he did a, a comic of that too. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of detailed genre knowledge coming in at the pitch level to start with. Yes, exactly. So once Kirkman came in with his sort of story that was on the table, we also had Ryan Ridley come in and help fleshing out the script for this as well. So as you might have guessed, it is based on Bram Stoker's Dracula and taking in influences from other Dracula films and portrayals in the past. Just a little note on Chris McKay, the director. So he's done a lot of TV directing, including some seasons of Robot Chicken. His film debut was the Lego Batman movie, which is one I know you really oh. loved, Rob, and is up there with Batman movies oh, for you. Oh, best Batman movie ever. <laughs> so that one was in 2017. He's also since done The the Tomorrow War. Oh. So that was that action, yeah, that we covered here on Zero G with Chris Pratt, a bit of time travel, apocalypse, you know, that could be anything. I remember thinking it was solid. Um, but I can't remember too much more than that. But then, yes, now he's come in and directed this Renfield film. So let's talk a little bit about who's in it. So we've already talked a bit about Nicolas Cage and he is playing our head figure, our Prince of Darkness, uh, Dracula, and uh, he's sort of the boss of our Renfield, played by Nicholas Holt. So Nicholas Holt we've seen in... Many things. I think he's actually really one of my favourite actors, actually, ever since I first saw him back in the day in Skins. So he was Beast in X-Men First Class. He was in Warm Bodies, The Menu quite recently, The Favourite, Tolkien, Mad Max Fury Road. Where he, he plays another pallid character, actually. <laughs> he is also in the upcoming Nosferatu, which is a... Uh, a remake directed by Robert Eggers. And, uh, yeah, I don't think he's playing a vampire in that one, though. Robert Eggers, he would be great at that. Mm. Like he's, he loves the black and white. You know who's playing Already. the vampire in that? Bill, Bill Skarsgård. Ah, uh, ooh, that's interesting. I mean, one day that man's going to play like a friendly sidekick or something. Well, it doesn't mean that Nicholas Holt is um, immune <laughs> From doing bad films, Jack the Giant Slayer was pretty ordinary. Yes. Yeah, I think that kind of fell off the map and definitely didn't fulfil studio expectations. Uh, So we've got this main two. Basically, the plot of this one is, if you're not as familiar with the Renfield character, we've got monsters in the modern era. Uh, We follow age-old sidekick and henchman Renfield, who, in my memory, just kind of follows along behind Dracula, eats bugs, kind of speaks in a snivelly voice, pale, bit of a loser. That, well, he's under a spell. He's under Dracula's spell. I shouldn't say that. That's a bit mean. But he's very loyal to the Prince of Darkness. And in this film, he realises maybe there's more to life. He's, he's realised he doesn't really enjoy doing the bidding as much as he used to. I mean, he's been under Dracula's thumb for centuries and Renfield's kind of ready to see what else is out there. And that's partially due to uh, Rebecca, played by Aquafina. So she's a traffic cop and she's brought in, she's a kind of a little bit of a love interest for Renfield. We've seen her in many things before, Ocean's 8, Jumanji, The Next Level, and she's done a lot of voice acting. That seems to be her thing lately, Raya and the Last Dragon, and, of course, she's in The Little Mermaid live-action remake as Scuttle. 
and she was also in, of course, Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Mm. Oh, usually actually one of those actresses or actors who you look forward to when you see their name in their credit, you go, oh, that's going to be good. Yeah, and I think the casting here you can already tell a little bit. And from even when I first saw the trailer, you can tell exactly the pitch that this is going to go for, like the comedy, the horror, bit silly, satire, and especially I think when you cast someone like she's done drama before, but she's known for her comedy turns. Oh, she was the voice of the collector in Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Oh, there you go. Hmm. Also in the mix we have Ben Schwartz, who we saw recently in The Muppets Mayhem. And we also, he's playing a character called Tedward Lobo, and he's also been in Space Force, um, Murder Mystery Show, The After Party, Sonic the Hedgehog, Star Wars The Bad Batch, apparently. And he is the voice of Modok in the Marvel animated series. Yes. Yes. So he's got a lot going on lately. Mm. Good for him. Good for Ben. And uh, the one of the others I wanted to call out was Shore Agdashlu who plays Bella Francesca, Francesca Lobo. She's the the mob boss who's uh, Teddy's mother in this, so it's a whole family thing there. We know Shora for playing Christian Avasarala, President of the United Nations, in the magnificent science fiction series The Expanse. And she has a what should be a really major role in this in this movie, but we'll get to there soon <laughs> she she was also in the netflix's animated arcane which is kind of a city punk uh, league of legends based animation but i've heard it's very very good and she was in x-men last stand star trek beyond she's got a bit of genre yeah in her background as well so that's kind of some of our players i think with the actors in movie renfield uh, like to scoot back through how they actually panned out. I mean, we've talked about where they're from. And there's a lot of cameos in this too, by the way. Um, you've got uh, Jenna Cannell playing Carol, a support group member. She's known for her horror films, uh, Terrifier and The Bye Bye Man, but she was also a med tech in WandaVision. And I wonder where I'd seen her before relatively recently. And they even have uh, William Ragsdale shot briefly as a priest. Uh, and he was uh, a teenage vampire slayer in the vampire film Fright Night back in 1985. And there's a few other people like that who are appearing in there. And, of course, there's archival footage from Todd Browning's uh, 1931 Dracula where they've <laughs> done this cut-and-paste job of putting both the Nicholases into that. <laughs> that I love when they do that stuff. It's, it's actually beautifully done and it's great looking mm. and, and I actually want to see that film. <laughs> Not not necessarily more than this film, but I also want to see that film because they have a lot of fun doing it. So to go back over them, how does Nicolas Cage fare as the vampire in Renfield? He is a gory delight in this. <laughs> so he inhabits the role and he brings a hell of a lot of body English, or should I say Romanian or Transylvanian, to the role. He understands the mission. He's over the top and back around the other side. They've given him lamprey-like teeth, but he can also grow the uh, the traditional long canines on demand. And, well, you'll believe a vampire can levitate in this one. They also do a lot of special effects work on him and makeup and so on, stages of decomposition, which owes something just to Christopher Lee's constant reanimations in Hammer horror films, you know, kill the vampire, he comes back. And that's actually the main storyline for this film uh, because 
this happens all the time. It's a it's a cycle of codependency that he's in with Renfield. That is the main um, driving trope of this film. That's actually quite well done. I thought it's it's mm. it's echoed in the uh, relationship be, between the the head of the Lobo drug family and her son, but they don't really mm. manage to pull that part of it off, right. which is a pity. But the main mm-hmm. relationship between Holt and Cage is excellent. There's a lot of really off chemistry. <laughs> and Holt is is quite good at his shtick, which is basically playing the awkward, reticent sort of character, like a, a young Hugh Grant. And there's another thing that reminded me, you know, because it's like this whole uh, abusive cycle where Dracula blood binges, he gets slain, it doesn't take, Renfield has to take him to a new city to so they can nurse him back to being unhealthy. And it's this whole toxic relationship that's been running for 100 years. And now in New Orleans, thanks to a codependency workshop meeting, <laughs> Renfield is trying to break free from that relationship and, and thereby hangs the tail. And that part of the film I actually found was really solid. And Nick Cage would appreciate this being a comic book fan, but I also think it reminds me a lot of, of uh, the Silver Surfer and, and Galactus as his herald. He has the same sort of problem on a much larger planetary scale, but it's all about feeding people, so, you know, so it's there. I did see somewhere too that um, obviously he was inspired because he's wanted to play Dracula for a long time yeah. and he famously doesn't really take side character roles that aren't the lead, but for Dracula he, he made an exception. But he was inspired by obviously famous Dracula performances of like Gary Oldman, Bella Lugosi's original performance in the Dracula that you mentioned and Frank Langella. And I did see that the uh, costume designer, Lisa Lovas, for his costuming, wanted to merge like classic extravagant Dracula fits with a more rock star flair inspired by David Bowie. Mm. So ah. it always comes back to Bowie. So especially uh, the red suit was very Bowie inspired. And there's also elements of Coppola's Dracula as well. There's like a top hat that he wears and he goes to the opera with an opera cape and that explains that and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And that's all spot on, all of that kind of thing. I thought that his relationship with Renfield was beautifully done, probably actually takes away any possible light that they were having with uh, Holt having Holt's character being with Aquafina's character. There's a, a sort of a budding romance there that never goes anywhere. And you can look at that in one or two ways. It's either poor writing or they just decided that that was really not where the film needed to go. But I'm just wondering why they even bothered with that. It's sort of a bit of a catalyst. Why set it up? Yeah. yeah. Like, whereas in something like Shang-Chi, I think they never really went down a romance route. And I think that was good. I liked that about that piece. Mm. But either do it or don't. Commit or not. And uh, Shora Agdashlu playing Bella Francesca Lobo, Look, to be fair, any project where she's not on screen a majority of time is a waste of her talents. So I actually would have rather seen way more of her character than of the than of her son's character. No shade on uh, Ben Schwartz. He's, he does what he can with the role, but, you know, she would have been much more interesting, um, I think, as, as the, the main positional character, as the opposition. But, you know, there's some things there. There's, there's a lot about this movie that doesn't quite land. You know, it just sort of hovers yeah, hovers over the shame. idea that they've set up. Which is yeah. Kind of sad. Um, 
There is another sub- subplot where uh, Aquafina's sister, uh, played by Camille Chen, she's a, a an FBI agent, conveniently mm-hmm. so, who yeah. happens to be working in the same city in the same precinct uh, <laughs> as, as leader of a task force, and that doesn't really go too far. You know, you can see the you can see the skeletal structure of this film there almost like the, showing yeah yeah which is not necessarily inappropriate for the sort of film we're talking about. <laughs> how about the comedy does it land mostly aside from the visual gags which from the sounds of it worked well the, the throwbacks and things yeah mostly it does there's some stuff in it that i i i got very amused by like there's a you know, Dracula's shacked up in an abandoned hospital here. He's come down from the castle. You know, he doesn't have much money anymore. He's with the people. Yeah, uh, not by choice. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's an odd structure in this castle in, in his lair that looks like it's constructed from mobile phones. And I realise, yes, because all the victims would have had mobile phones. So, I mean, who's actually done Clever. this? Has it been Renfield has, like, decorated a bit? <laughs> Or, He's got to fill his time. Or does Dracula do this? <laughs> you know, oh, Dracula wouldn't lift a finger. Arts and crafts, you know, <laughs> while he's recovering. So there's, there's the vampire procedural, I think, is pretty interesting, even though if it is kept in the background. And it is mm. played for comic effect at most times. Um, look, here's a hint. Don't put out a welcome mat. <laughs> <laughs> I could have told you that. Yeah. But yes, good, good advice, yeah. good advice. And look. This is a film that is ultra violent in a way that would turn Alex Zadrug's stomach from Clockwork Orange. It's not just oh. blood soaked; it's blood hosed. Interesting. You know, it's frequently like Monty Python esque. A lot of the spoofs I remember do do that so over the top that it's yeah. it's meant to be ridiculous, it is right? Totally ridiculous. It's like I've I've seen Japanese extreme horror movies that are less gory than this. It's a little bit like Wellington Paranormal being directed by Peter Jackson in his bad taste and undead and meet the feebles days. You know, so they expect that kind of level of really insanity. So it's amazing stuff. I know. It's all just hydraulics. <laughs> You've got to get the blood to spurt the right way. you got to need that motorised spray. <laughs> I did find the whole self-help affirmation group quite a fun idea. Yeah. And you just know that Drax's going to help himself to their self-help at some stage, you know, and we are not disappointed. And they have this so much fun with the Bella Lugosi Dracula footage and stuff that you just can't mm. – I feel poorly motivated to say this is not a great film yeah. because it is fun. I enjoyed it. It's it's as awkward as Nicholas Holt's character in a lot of ways. Um, I – Feel that it's been better done by Tyker and Jermaine Clement and what we do in the shadows. Yeah, uh, in, and it is a shame to be in the shadow of some great comedy horror that's come before. Yeah. But this is a a welcome addition to the subgenre of vampire comedy in, in many respects, mm. and and I will pay it. They they tried really hard in this, and that counts for me. Oh. <laughs> Hard. Oh no, that's worse than when you rip it a new one, Rob. When you're like patted on the head. Yeah. Look, I, look, I, I was, I was there for the the Renfield Dracula relationship to see what take they did on it. They did not disappoint me there. And that's the acting too. I do think those two are brilliant actors, and Holt is fabulous at playing snivelly, and Cage is fabulous at hamming it up. So. Oh, and they come up with a really good reason for Renfield eating bugs. And I thought, oh. oh, 
I've never thought of that before, but yeah, that makes total sense. And okay. you know, that puts this film in a in a different league. So, you know, this is the thing though, there are a lot of vampire comedies in that vast yeah. <laughs> reeking sepulchre that we went through earlier on in the show. And and a lot of those are a little bit off too. They don't all mm-hmm. work. And yeah. You know, I don't mind having another one of those around, especially if it's got yeah. Nicolas Cage playing Dracula. You know what I mean? What as long like? as it has enough done right, I think these things still have a place. Yeah. And I agree. I want to see more fun stuff like this too. It's only about 90 minutes, you know, so it's not going to wear out its welcome Perfect. too much. Perfect. Perfect. Not an hour of positive affirmations like Zero G is. <laughs> <laughs> so Zero G rating for Renfield out in cinemas now? Ah, how would we go with this? I think mm, it's a, it's a, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all right with this. I mean, look, there's so many dodgy Nicolas Cage movies that he's done, uh, but they're always worth seeing. Have you noticed that? He's one of those. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Not the bees. Not the bees. <laughs> Renfield, we have been talking about that today on Zero G. And I did want to just say, as before we flutter off, that um, I like the action sequence in, in this. It's so over the top and, and insane that I'll, I'll pay it. And just to see Nicholas Holt become an action, well, anti-hero, it's, a, it's an amazing <laughs> thing. Yeah. He's got a bright future, that one. Maybe not bright if he keeps hanging around with vampires. You know, that might be... I know, the company he's keeping. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so moving right along, that actually sounds like a cue for a Muppet song, and it could very well be. <laughs> We've been watching the Muppet Mayhem <laughs> Season 1 on Disney+, Plus, and <laughs> it's done its its little drop and release of 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. It is, of course, about Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, now just known as the Electric Mayhem, mm-hmm. and... <sighs> It's just a joy. It is so sweet. It is one of the sweetest shows I've seen in a while, and it's a joy to watch, basically. Look, they, they peddle all the tropes in it. The basic story is that they <laughs> the music label that they were signed up to way back in the day wonders why the hell they never actually delivered the album that they were promised to do because they've been touring all this time in this weird bus and and they took the money at the time they took the money they didn't actually spend it they just stashed it in a bag because it's it's the mayhem they don't they don't have a clue (laughs) so ostensibly the purpose of this series is to produce that album get it Mm. get it done and also to have a concert at the hollywood bowl which they actually did do. There was one of those, yeah. Uh, yeah, real in I, well, IRL as you can get, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, all of those objectives will be achieved. You know that. It's that kind of show. Along the way, we're going to touch all of the tropes for a band, um, the band documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Smith is roped into that. And, my God, the cameos in this. Oh, yes, uh, very cameo-rich, this one. Um, so Peter Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, there is, they actually do go to that Peter Jackson universe of Meet the Feebles with his weird Muppet parody, his exceptionally off-Muppet parody. We now know that the Muppets exist in the same universe. My mind is... <laughs> it's a very Muppet-savvy series, too, oh, like I think, so yeah. Much. You know, we've had, uh, and I was right, Garfield and Oates cameo, at least from one of them. Uh, Danny Trejo. Garfunkel and Oates. Yeah, Garfunkel. What did I say? 
Garfield. Garfield? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a hepcat too. Uh, the cameos do not stop coming in this show. We've got Boyle from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Nine Nine. Oh my God, uh, Boyle is in. Um, uh, actually, the actor Boyle, or it might be just one of the wacky Boyle family. He plays a Minecraft developer who plugs a band in for a virtual concert, which is re- really amazing. You know, like they, they really push that, these uh, modern pop cultural things. They do not resile yeah. from them. It's not just nostalgia for the old era. That's a very contemporary reference. <laughs> oh, wait till they get into Instagram and TikTok. <laughs> because of course they all get phones. They've never had mobile phones before, and I feel I feel for them. I only got one this year myself, um, you know. And that just leads to this explosion of madness. Uh, uh, Janice in the band becomes a cult leader um, who call themselves the Fershurlians. For sure, <laughs> Doctor Teeth is posting YouTube spice tasting videos uh, because uh, Floyd is writing online ad jingles. Lips wants to save the world with TED Talks. <laughs> An animal is overdosing as a, a TikToking influencer. It's just too much for him. That's so interesting. They've gone so hard on the contemporary references mm. for this sort of very nostalgic. That's a definite choice, and I guess it works. Yeah. They go on a road trip out into the desert where they encounter magic marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> This is all that over the heads of kids, this is for adults stuff. Yeah. Where can I get more some more of those marshmallows? (laughs) You know, the the band gets broken up, you know, Mm. all those sorts of things. The drama, the usual biopic drama ensues. They do lose some points for some kind of green screen or volume use for some of the interiors, which was very odd. And it took me out of the somewhat weird reality that they were setting up. Because that's the premise, like it's, it's the Muppets existing in the same reality as, as, you know, flesh and blood human beings. And that works for the most part. And really, you know, they if they're going to get out there and market Disney, you need to get some um, Electric Mayhem bus toys out there because I want one. <laughs> I know there was a Hallmark ornament. Oh, no, I'm not going to go off into some collector's reverie. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, it's always one thought away for Rob, yeah. <laughs> the collector's reverie. The, the Muppets Mayhem, it's, it's great. It's on Disney+. Plus. It, mm. I thought initially it's not quite as um, chaotic and anarchy-ridden as the original, but, yeah, it, it does tank up on that, and oh, I, I did good. welcome that as well. And there's some – the cameos are just amazing. It's, I've never <laughs> seen so many cameos, and I'm sure there's lots of ones I didn't spot in the music industry mm. inside part of it too. And, yeah. yeah. And lots of tropes busted about the music industry and lots of sly digs at it and oh, that's good good stuff disney plus but it's one of the you know it's like the star wars and also you know the uh, the mcu and there's the muppets as their other franchise that gets a look in occasionally they're trying to kick off muppet verse so we'll see how that goes it seems like it's a strong start so ah <sighs> Well, I'm feeling a bit uh, bloody-minded now after all of that. (laughs) Uh, You know, we are done and dusted for the day, as they say in vampire movies, and I think that's a cue for a hunger track. Yes. Not a hunger games track. No. (laughs) 
no, no. The um, what did, I think it's described as psychosexual thriller, <laughs> vampire film, The Hunger from 1983, and it's our Bowie connection for the day. Uh, not just because his wardrobe inspired Dracula in this film, but he was in The Hunger, and he also features sort of on the soundtrack. I think that's it for Zero G for today. Yeah, it is. So thanks to Alice Savage, our long-suffering podcaster. Yes, thank you, Alice. And thank you to the listeners who put up with us. It was a a (laughs) codependent relationship if ever there was one. (laughs) Now I feel like some kind of brain-sucking parasite. Hmm. (laughs) Well, I haven't haven't had lunch yet, so one of those will do. And um, Megan, you're taking some shore leave for a little bit, so yes. So I'm leaving the helm to you solo for a couple of weeks, Rob. So fly her straight and true, and then I'll be back before you know it to talk all about all the genre stuff that I've caught up on. Well, I will certainly do almost none of that, <laughs> <laughs> but good luck to you, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.